Shana Tova. It takes optimism to say what we just said, to say Shana Tova, to say have a good year, especially this year. And we say it every year, regardless of what the last year was like. We said it in 2000 when the economy was booming, and then we said it in 2001 on September 18th, just seven days after 9-11. We went to Shul, and we looked at each other, and we said, Shana Tova. And think about where we are today, because the times that we live in are as challenging as any in recent decades. In our own city, the gap between the public and the private school education has increasingly widened. Now, 80% of San Francisco schools fail to meet the no child left behind goals. There are an increasing number of Americans who now classify their life as suffering, with 72% of Americans saying that our country is headed in the wrong direction. Just last year, 2.6 million people, or 15% of the U.S. population, slipped below the poverty line. And this number would be even higher were it not for an increasing number of people between 18 and 35 who were moving back to their parents' home. In the 10 years since 9-11, for every $1 that Al-Qaeda spent, we have spent $6 million defending ourselves, nearly bankrupting our country. Abroad, Israel has become more isolated in its region than at any time than in the past 30 years. Its closest ally, Turkey, has expelled their ambassador. And after flying over the Israeli consulate in Cairo for 30 years, the flag was torn down and burned. And don't forget that Iran has called for the destruction of Israel and continues to build nuclear weapons and delivery systems. And while all of these external factors threaten Israel from the outside, hundreds of thousands of Israelis have taken to the streets protesting the massive disparity between the rich and the rest of the country. Environmentally, the world just experienced the hottest year in the history of the world with the ice caps melting at a faster rate than had ever been anticipated. And still, we have politicians debating if humans are the cause, or even if climate change is real. We have had quite a year. And these are all just external factors. We also face the stress associated with conflicts in our own relationships. For many, Careers have become all-consuming careers. Our personal and our work lives are out of balance. And yet, with all of this going on, Jews from all over the world are gathering in synagogues, looking at each other and saying, Shana Tova. How can we truthfully believe that a good year is even possible? When we look at the world, the world is seemingly falling apart around us. Politically, economically, socially and environmentally. Either we are not paying attention or we have an unbelievable amount of chutzpah. 
How can we stand here with optimism, given everything that is going on? Why do we do it? We say Shana Tova year in and year out because we have chutzpah. Being chutzpahdik, it's fundamental to being a Jew. And we did not just begin to have chutzpah. We didn't just start this year or 10 years ago or 100 years ago and say, wow, this is going to be an incredible year. Regardless of whether the economy was booming or busting, if we lived in freedom or if we lived in a ghetto, Jews have always approached every single Rosh Hashanah, be it here at Two Lake Street or in the barracks at Auschwitz. And we shouted, or at times we were forced to whisper, Shana Tova. In the face of pogroms in Russia, we didn't just throw our hands up and say, this is it. We have finally been emancipated and still we're attacked. Woe is me, it's the fate of the Jews. No. Rather, we packed our bags and we moved. Some of us moved to Israel. Instead of living in hell, we decided to build a utopia. Kids not much older than our bar and our bat mitzvah students. They kissed their parents goodbye and they moved to the ancient land of their people, to a land of their own. And they worked the barren and the tough land because they decided that a desert of all places was the best place to plant trees and to build farms. You know what that is? That's chutzpah. After being attacked from every single country surrounding it and experiencing terrorism, Yitzhak Rabin decided then would be a good time to reach his hand out in peace. Chutzpah! The huge number of Jews that headed to the South during the Civil Rights Movement, they didn't do it because it was fun or because it was safe. Some were murdered and some were beaten. They did it because the state of our country was not what it ought to be. They were going to be part of the solution and bring equality to this country. Now, who gave them the right? It takes a lot of chutzpah. And I have to tell you, our chutzpah quotient, it is not running low. We've internalized and we've ritualized our chutzpah. At every bris and every baby naming, which in our community is nearly every week, we begin each ceremony by saying, This right here, is Elijah's chair. Because we put a chair out for Elijah because we believe that Elijah will come when the Messiah arrives. We have the audacity to say that each one of our children just might be the Messiah. Each one of our children just might be the one who finally brings peace to this world. And who ever said that Jewish parents put too high expectations on their kids? <laughs> But where did this come from? When did it begin? Rabbi Edward Feinstein, he argues that our chutzpah, the origins can be traced back to Abraham and his very first encounter with God. God says to him, Lech Lecha, get out of your place, go from yourself. Abraham is told to leave his homeland, to leave all that is familiar and comfortable to him, and to begin a great quest. Abraham is told that he is going to be made into a great nation, and he's told that God is going to bless him. And this is all really wonderful. But it's right here where the Torah makes a radical departure. Abraham is told something 
that has never appeared before in all of Near Eastern literature. And you will be a blessing. Abraham's mission, and therefore my mission, your mission, all of our missions, is to be a blessing. Now, Abraham is not told to walk around the world saying blessings. Rather, Abraham is told to be a blessing, to be an ambassador to the world. He's told that his actions in the world, his fundamental being, is to be a blessing. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a blessing? The Torah does not describe what it means to be a blessing. Rather, the Torah shows us. It shows us through its narrative, through its stories. Abraham is in his tent, and he's told that he's going to be having a child. And immediately after, God explains to him that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed. And Abraham's reaction is to vayigash, to step into a conversation with God and to say, Chalilalacha, God forbid. Who do you think you are? Are you really going to destroy an entire city with innocent people in it? God, you should be ashamed of yourself. Are you really going to act in a way where there is no differentiation between good and evil? Death is going to be brought upon the innocent along with the guilty. Chalilalacha, who do you think you are? Now that is chutzpah. And I'm sure you can imagine what your parents' reaction would be if as a little child you would have said to them, Chalilalacha, who do you think you are? This is how you're going to live in the world. We expect God to silence Abraham or to smite him. But instead, God says, All right, you're right, I'm wrong. And by saying, You are right and I am wrong, God allows God's self to be corrected by a human being. It means that Abraham's being a blessing provides a vision of what the world ought to be on an ethical par with any possible visions God may have, and thus is worthy of consideration. And just in case we didn't get the significance of this, we see Abraham bargaining God down from 50 innocent people to 40, from 40 to 30, from 30 to 20, and finally to 10. And we see Abraham being taught his role in the world, to be a blessing. And in order to be a blessing, you must stand up, and yell and act in the face of an imperfect, unjust, and broken world. Even if that means you have to stand up to God. Rabbi Feinstein argues that the ultimate apostasy in Judaism is not atheism, it's not converting to Christianity, it's not converting to Islam or converting to any other religion. Rather, the ultimate abandonment or renunciation of Judaism is if you say, it's not my problem. It is an anathema in Judaism to accept the way the world is. When you accept the brokenness of this world as something we cannot change, when you've accepted the brokenness as the status quo, at that point, you have checked out of the Jewish mission.
President Shimon Peres. He says that one of the greatest gifts that Jews have brought to the world is dissatisfaction. This is what it means to be a Jew. This is my job. This is your job. This is all of our job. We are not permitted to resign ourselves to a world as it is. A world that is seemingly broken in every direction that we turn. Doing something, doing anything about the state of our world and our relationships is what it means to be a blessing. This is what it means to have chutzpah. Having the audacity to be a blessing is the ultimate chutzpah. Now the question that we must ask ourselves is how we as a people can be a blessing in this moment in history. How are each of us supposed to react to the way that the world is? Well, you and I do not know what is going to happen to this country, to this economy, to our political system. The events occurring around us, they are new. We've never seen scenarios like this before. We've never lived in a city where the education system, which was designed to help level the playing field, appears to be increasing the divide. We've never lived in a time where there is such a profound and expected blurring of boundaries between work and personal time. Where the expectation is that we are available into the wee hours of the night and often on the weekends as well. We've never lived in a time when Israel has not just been surrounded by neighbors who are hostile, but by neighbors who have called for its destruction while developing a nuclear weapon. We've never lived in a time when our planet has warmed so rapidly. And while we've never lived in a world like this, our response to a broken world is not new. We do not accept how the world currently is, but rather we take action to transform the world to how it ought to be. Having chutzpah, it means that you never accept the is but rather you are dissatisfied because we have not reached the ought. This is the choice that we are approached with as Jews. Which world do we want to live in? The way it is or the way it ought to be? If you choose the is, you are abandoning the Jewish imperative. But if you choose to strive for the ought, then you are right in the middle of the Jewish mission. Now, there are some who would argue that the state of our world is determined by fate. These circumstances, they're always bound to happen. Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, according to Judaism, man's mission in his world is to turn fate into destiny, an existence that is passive and influenced, into an existence that is active and influential. An existence of compulsion, perplexity, and speechlessness into an existence full of will and initiative. To be a Jew means that we are in charge of our destiny. To be a Jew means we don't rely on a force from above to fix our world, but rather we rely on ourselves and we rely on each other. Sitting in shuls and praying for Israel for 2,000 years, it never worked! But getting up and moving to Israel and tilling the land, it did. 
We only pray with our mouths so that we can pray with our feet. Each of us must be a blessing. It's told that a man once said to another man, sometimes I'd like to ask God why God allows poverty and famine and injustice when God could do something about it. And the other man responded, well, then why don't you ask God? And he replied, because I'm afraid that God might ask me the same question. Once Abraham realized that there was no one else but him to save innocent lives, he stood up for the way the world ought to be, even if it meant calling out the ruler of the universe. Each one of us in this room has an Elijah chair set out for us because each of us is an ambassador to this world. We do not accept the world as fatalistic, but rather one where we are active and influential. Now, as frightening and overwhelming as it all may seem, this is our time. This is the world that we live in. This is the only life that we have. In Judaism, we don't talk much about the afterlife. We don't spend much time dwelling on it. Because the fact is, we don't know much about it. But we do know about this life. It's why during this time of year, we reflect on our lives and our world, and then we act as if we only have 10 days left to live. When we fully embrace the finitude of our individual existence, it is nearly impossible to accept the world and our lives as it is, instead of how it ought to be. And I'm not talking solely about politics and economics in the state of Israel and our environment. I'm talking about your life as well. If a personal relationship, be it with family or a significant other or a friend, is suffering, have the chutzpah and the courage to reach out and to vayigash, to step into a conversation and see if you can get that relationship closer to where it ought to be. And don't make the assumption that talking won't work or that the person will never change. Because when you do that, you are accepting the world as it is. If you're dissatisfied with your career and it's not where it ought to be, be bold and have the chutzpah to address it because this is it. This is your one and only life. If you find yourself struggling with a lack of balance between your work and your home lives, perhaps you're constantly checking email when you're home, in the evenings, on the weekends, then set some boundaries for yourself. Block off time in your calendar and mark it sacred time. And then be present. If you're frustrated and disappointed with where Israel is politically, economically, socially, religiously, or the existential threats that face it, good! You should be. It's your job. But don't just keep that inside. Be chutzpahdik and stand up and act and get Israel where it ought to be. And there are many ways to do this. One option is to support the organization of your choice, be it APAC, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, or NIF, the New Israel Fund, or J Street. What matters is not which organization you work with, but that you are actively working toward changing Israel. 
If you're upset the way our education system is in San Francisco, have some chutzpah and do something about it. Don't just talk about it. Sign up with our local organizing committee and begin the process of not only leveling the playing field, but elevating it for all of our children. And if you look within, and you find that honestly, you're not passionate about any of these topics, and if none of these issues really resonate with you, then find one that does. Just be a blessing. Not coincidentally, when we pull the Torah out today, we're going to read about Abraham. But the Abraham in this Parsha, he seems very different from the Abraham that confronts God earlier in the Torah. This Abraham is told by the same God to take his son, the most precious thing in all the world to him. The same son that he is told about right before Abraham yells at God, Chalilelecha. And Abraham is told to sacrifice him. What is different this time is that Abraham does not say, Chalilelecha. Who do you think you are? This is my son. Rather, this time Abraham does not vayigash. He does not step into a conversation with God. Rather, this time, Abraham says nothing. He accepts God's command as it is. And as a result, God never speaks to him again. An angel is sent to stop Abraham, not God. Sarah dies immediately after the binding of Isaac. And some rabbis say that Isaac never speaks to Abraham again. When we pull the Torah out today, we see a person who accepts the world as it is. And we see the devastation of his silence. In this year, 5772, we are presented with a profound choice. Are we going to live a life like Abraham that accepts the world and our lives the way they are and live a life of silence? Or are we going to have the chutzpah to be actively dissatisfied because our lives and our world is not as it ought to be? We stand at a dark and an uncertain moment. But because we know what this world could be, what this world ought to be, as a Jew, there are only two words that I need to say as I look toward 5772. Shana Tovah.